Today's scripture passage is taken from Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Nate, for reading that. Hold on a second before you go down. Uh, It is Father's Day, and I picked this psalm to preach from today uh, because it is Father's Day. And I want you to take a good look at us because I'm about to show you a video in a minute. When you think of Father's Day, all you dads out there, you think of like memories of being a dad, right? Well, recently I found an old hard drive in my desk drawer and it was full of these videos. And so now rewind about 15 years, same two people. This is one of my favorite memories of being a dad. All right, take a look. So it, it is Father's Day. That, that is one of my favorite memories. I'm so glad I found that video. Um, yeah, little mini Darth Vader going after it. So I wish America's Home Videos was still around. I think we could have maybe made something on that to finance college. I don't know. So yes, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. And uh, we are going to be in Psalm 78 this Sunday. I'm going to be teaching from that. Uh, as David Gonzalez said last week in his introduction to the Psalms, the series throughout the summer is called Summer in the Psalms, and our teaching elder Todd Cravens is on sabbatical over the next seven weeks, and we're going to have uh, different people coming to preach through the Psalms. And so since it was Father's Day, uh, it is Father's Day, Psalm 78 came to mind for me, and so we're going to be in that today. And um, it's a rather long psalm. Uh, the, the beginning, the first eight verses that Nate read is, is really part of the core of what we're going to talk about. But I also wanted to do justice to the rest of the psalm uh, to bring in just kind of a, a big picture of it as well and how it actually ties in to um, the message about dads in the beginning. So in, in Psalm 78, if you turn there, um, there are going to be some scriptures that come up on the screen. Uh, some of them I'm just going to read and you can follow along that way. Uh, so let me pray for us as we get started today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege uh, to be able to come before you this morning, to gather as a family, to worship you. 
Lord, thank you for being the creator of families. Lord, thank you for designing them uh, to be able to communicate and pass on to children, to generations, the greatness of who you are, the wonder of who you are, the power that is only in you. And Lord, we just ask this morning as we look at your word and we see uh, these commands given to dads that we as dads would be able to apply them to our lives. Lord, we can't do that ourselves. We need the power of your Holy Spirit to speak to us today and to help us live this out. And so I ask that that would take place. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as you look at Psalm 78, uh, there, there's two things to kind of think about as you look to understand it, big picture wise. And the first thing has to do with the author of the psalm. The author of the psalm, as it indicates in the scripture right above it, is a man named Asaph. And Asaph is probably somebody you're not as familiar with in scripture. And so I did some digging and looked up a little bit about Asaph. Um, Asaph wrote about 12 psalms. And Asaph lived during the time of King David and his son Solomon. So he was put into service, into work by David, and it continued through the reign of his son Solomon. And, and Asaph specifically, along with two others, were assigned by David. They were Levites, so they worked in the, t in the tabernacle, uh, the tent where the Lord's presence dwelled. And they were assigned by David to lead song services. They're, they're musicians. And so you get that from 1 Chronicles chapter 6, 31 through 32. And this one will come up on the screen for you. And I'll read it for you. It says this, these are the men whom David put in charge of the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark rested there. They ministered with, the, they ministered with song before the tabernacle of the tent of meeting until Solomon built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And they performed their service according to their order. These are the men who served and their sons. Then it begins of the sons of the Kohathites, Heman, the singer, the son of Joel, and it goes through his lineage and you get all the way down to verse 39 and it says, and his brother Asaph, who stood on his right hand, namely Asaph, the son of Berechiah. So there we have Asaph and you see what his job is to do, what David has put him to do. Asaph uniquely as well, uh, when the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God came into Jerusalem, when they did it the right way and they actually put it into the tent, David himself assigned Asaph to lead that worship ceremony. I'm just going to read you this one. It will not be on your screen. It's from 1 Chronicles 16, verses 1 and then 4 through 5. It says, And they brought in the Ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. Then he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief. So this is the Asaph that we're talking about. So this is an individual whose job was to lead in worship, to lead in song. And so as, as we learned last week from Psalms, there's a very poetic, there's a very musical aspect to Psalms, and it is very much so the case for this song. Um, you also see the little notation at the beginning of Psalm 78 that says it's a masculine, and you look down at the note in your Bible, and you see that that is something that is used in liturgy for worship. So the heart of this psalm, as Asaph is writing it, is to lead you to a place of worship. That's one of his purposes in his mind, is to use what he's writing about to lead you to a place of worship. 
Now, the second thing that we need to know in understanding the big picture structure of this psalm is that it is a psalm, it is a psalm that talks about history. It's a psalm that talks about history. Now, you get that if you've read it from first to last. It goes after verse 8. It goes into big-time history. And I'll talk about that in a minute and kind of summarize some of it as we move forward. But it goes through two specific cycles of history in the nation of Israel. And Asaph is using that history as a purpose to push us to a place of worship. But we also see that he's going to be communicating history because he says that in like the very first three verses in Psalm 78, verse 1 through 3. And, and there's a little bit of wording there that I want to read this again because it's, a, it's different kind of wording uh, when you read it. It sounds like you may be hearing from Gandalf from Lord of the Rings, so I want to explain it. Um, so Psalm 78, 1 through 3, that should come up on the screen. Let me read it to you. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. He kind of has a Gandalf feel to it, right? Big long beard, letting her talking to you. Um, but what he's doing there, I want to explain the wording there. What he's doing is he's, he's pointing us again, to history. He's pointing us to history, and he, because it says there are things from old, so we're talking about history. Uh, but specifically, he's also pointing out an aspect of, of, of mystery, an aspect of, of something that needs to be kind of fully understood, that is somewhat veiled. And so you get that from the word parable, right? So Matthew, in Matthew chapter 13, I believe, 35, Matthew actually quotes this exact verse when he is speaking of Jesus teaching in parables. Well, a parable, when Jesus taught in parables, a parable is, is, is a story that has two truths in it. And in that story of a parable, one truth is true to life, and the second truth is a spiritual truth. And as you hear the parable, there is an unveiling or, an un, or a revealing of that spiritual truth with respect to the physical truth. For example, you know the story of the soils, the four different types of soils, right? Well, the, the physical, the, the truth to life is the, story, is the aspect of seeds landing on on soil and growing. The spiritual truth that runs alongside that is the condition of the heart that receives truth about God and revelation from God. So what, what Asaph is doing is saying, I'm going to go through history and I am going to share with you history and it is going to pu push you and point you to worship by revealing, revealing to you somewhat of a, of, of a hidden truth that's there about God. So that, that's what he's kind of doing as he, as he sets up. And those are the kind of two perspectives and really understanding kind of the big picture of this psalm in Psalm 78. So as we, as we go through this, as we continue to do it, uh, we want to see a little bit of what he goes into next because we're not into the history yet, right? So that's just verses like one through four. Um, and now we want to see this, this kind of next part where he continues before he gets into the history. And that's where we really kind of see this focus and this charge to us as dads on, on Father's Day. Um, as dads here, I myself am a dad. There are many of you that are here that are dads or maybe granddads. 
grandfathers. Um, and, and, you know, for a sermon like this that kind of focuses specifically on fathers, um, you know, God's truth is relevant for all people at all times. So if you're single here today and, and you're a guy, this is for you as well, thinking about one day that you yourself may be a father. If you're a woman here today and you're single, this is something that you want to look clearly into in the man that you're going to take to be your husband. Um, if you're a, a mom here today, this is something that you can encourage uh, your, your husband in and his pursuit in. So there's many aspects of taking this message today and and applying it to to your life. So first, let's take a look now then at this last little part that precedes the big jump into the history cycles in verses 4 through 8. And so he he speaks specifically to us as dads in here. I'm going to read to you verse 4 through 8, but the one that you're going to see on the screen is the excerpt 5 and 6. So I'm going to start reading and then you'll see 5 and 6 come up. It says, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. I'm going to read that again. He commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So it's pretty straightforward and clear in the scripture today. The truth that we see that's there for us as fathers in the room today, it is the role of the father to teach his children about the Lord. It's the role of the father It's his responsibility. He is given the command to teach his children about the Lord. Now, this word that's used there, command, uh, the word command has, in the Hebrew, it has kind of a connotation of a superior military officer communicating to all that are under him. And that, that, that picture is an important picture to have in mind. Because this is a command that represents authority. This is our God. This is our creator giving us this command as fathers. This is a command to be taken seriously. It reminds me of when I was in the military, uh, whenever there were occasions where there were gatherings for a change of command or an award ceremony or a promotion, there was an aspect of those ceremonies that really reflected the seriousness of the authority, and whenever they got to the point, and I think they still do this in the military, the guys that are active duty can probably tell me, when you get to that point where you're reading the orders to reflect that change of command or that promotion or that award, it always precedes it by the phrase, attention to orders, attention to orders, and when that phrase is read, everybody comes to attention, and you're standing up at attention, and you listen to the orders because it's respect for the authority that's giving that order. So fathers in the room, when, when you see that, asp- that command there, that this command was given to us, that, that's the picture, and that's the weight, and that's the seriousness of the authority that we should view ourselves under. The, the, the commanding officer, the commander-in-chief, the Lord himself is giving us this command. This isn't an option. This isn't a, when we get around to it. This is a command from the Lord. And so it's something that greatly brings us conviction and challenges us as fathers. 
So it's a command. He commanded the fathers to teach the children. Now, all of us as parents here today, you know, it's the desire of our heart. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you are walking with the Lord as a mom or as a dad, it is your heart desire for your kids to come to know the Lord. That, that, that's the desire of our heart, for our kids to know Jesus and to be able to walk closely with him during their life. But we all likewise know the challenges. We know that when we go out that door and we go into the world, there are so many things out there that will just pull away. There are so many different things, even in generation now, that my generation growing up didn't have. When you have internet and social media and all kinds of things, you know what's out there and you know the challenges that our children face. Likewise, you also know what's on the inside. We all know of our, our sinful nature that we struggle with. And we all know that our kids have a sinful nature. And so as a parent, as, as I think about, wow, how am I going to raise my kids to be able to know the Lord and walk with Him, knowing what's out there, knowing what's in here, how am I going to be able to do this? It's a daunting task. This command helps us to do that. This command, fathers teaching their children the Word of God. It's our responsibility to do this. We need to take it seriously. And I think for us as dads, myself included, just because I work at a church doesn't mean that I'm exempt from these things. I think there's several traps that we fall into as dads when it comes to doing this. And I think the first trap is deferring to others. Trap number one for us as dads is defer deferring this role to others. That, you know, we, we think that when the kids are young, well, you know, they kind of connect with mom a lot, and, and that's mom's job to do, and as long as mom is doing it, that's okay. We can't defer it to mom. Certainly moms have roles. Certainly moms and dads work together in being able to teach their kids, but dads are the ones responsible. Dads need to take the lead. Dads need to teach their kids in their homes. We can't defer it to homeschool groups. I know myself, we homeschooled our kids. I know many of you homeschool your kids, and, and that's the trap I got into. I, I thought, well, you know, between the time that he spends at home when he's young with his mom and the time that he's in the homeschool group, they, they got all kinds of stuff going on. There's great influences. You know, that was the excuse for not being more direct and intentional in the life of my kids. It's being taken care of somewhere else. The command is given to dads. We can't defer to moms. We can't defer to homeschool groups. We can't defer to children's church ministry. We do a lot of cool, fun, great stuff at children's ministry here at Hope. We, I'm encouraged by what the Lord is doing. I'm encouraged by the people in our program. I'm encouraged by our leaders. But that doesn't replace the role that you have as a dad to teach your kids at home. It needs to come from you. The New Testament echoes this command quite clearly. And we see it in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. This will come up on the screen as well for you. Paul says this. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. He commands dads, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, the second trap for us as dads, the first one is deferring to others. 
It's easy to put it off into somebody else, but we need to take responsibility. The second trap is our jobs. Second trap is our jobs. We get busy and we get easily distracted by our jobs. Like I said, I work at a church, I get busy, I get easily distracted, just like you do. We need to be honest with ourselves about our time at work. We need to work as if we're working for the Lord and not for men. We need to be able to have that good work ethic. But at the same time, if our time at work is compromising our ability to teach our kids, then something's wrong. Then something's out of balance. Providing for our families is certainly essential. The Lord calls us to do this. But we need to have time at home with our kids to teach them God's word. For them to see dad opening God's word and reading it to them and teaching them. You know, as I was studying this topic, uh, one of the books that Anthony Colarusso gave me, and we had great discussions about, is, is a book called Family Worship by Don Whitney. You can write that down, Family Worship by Don Whitney. It's a great book. I encourage you to get it and read it. It's really small. It doesn't take much time. And he makes a great point in his book about this aspect of, of instruction in the homes. He said, during this time of King David and King Solomon, there wasn't a big networked synagogue system. It wasn't like they were taking their, their kids to synagogue every week. That wasn't in place yet. The, the temple, the temple where the Levites and the priests were, they did all of that. You came and you brought your sacrifice. The priests and the Levites, they did all the administration. So where then is this command to be carried out? It's to be carried out in the home. And even when the synagogues came into play, the command for dads to teach their kids was carried out in the home. It's an important thing to do as dads is to make our home a place where we teach our kids God's word. But as men, we face those distractions from our jobs, right? We want to climb the corporate ladder. We want to leave our mark. We want to make our skill set used and known and make a difference. But you see what happens, the lie of the enemy, what he does is he says to us that he whispers and says that these things that we want to do in our life as men, leaving our mark, making an impact, that those things, we need to leave this mark in this world, that we need other people to recognize it. But what scripture says to that lie is this world is passing away. This world will not be here forever. That Jesus, our Savior, is coming back and all things will be made new. It's not about making your mark in this world. It's about impacting the one to come. It's about sending it ahead. It's about building up treasures in heaven and teaching your kids, dads, teaching your kids God's word is a way for you to do that. As dads, we want to obey this command because the impact is great, way better than the impact of what we can leave on this world. Look at, look at verse um, 6, Psalm 78, verse 6. This is the kind of impact that we're talking about. That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. That as dads, the power of us teaching our kids God's word is not only that it would impart our kids, but it would impart their kids. That you have the ability to impact generations for the Lord by teaching his word, by obeying that command to teach your children. The impact is great. It's a spiritual impact, not a worldly impact. 
And when we see the results that flow from that, it's the results of what I was talking about in the beginning. Each of us of parents have that desire for our kids. What is that desire for our kids? What is that hope that we have for our kids? Look at verse 7. It lists three of them. That is true to the heart of all parents in the room. So that, there we go, it's transitioning to the results. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. That dads, as you are faithful to that command to teach God's word, we're, we're by faith doing that. We can't produce those results. The Lord is the one who makes things grow. But by faith that we obey him and we teach God's word in his home, the Lord says, this is what, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I, the Lord, am aiming for. This is what I, the Lord, want. I want your kids to be able to set their hope in me, and I want them to not forget my works, and I want them to keep my commands. God is faithful to his word. We need to be faithful to his command to teach his word as dads in our homes. So let's look at those things just a little bit more, each of those three things about what that produces in our kids. As dads, as we obey this command to teach our kids God's word, we see first that it would allow them to set their hope in God. This brings confidence, not confidence in themselves, but confidence in a relationship with their Savior, Jesus Christ. Confidence in knowing that they have a relationship with God through his Son. You know, hope in Scripture is not wishful thinking. It is, it is confidence. And so as dads, as we teach God's word in our home, we are giving the, our kids confidence. We are giving them the anchor of Christ who is unchanging in their lives. As, as Jesus' illustration is, as you teach your kids God's word, you are laying a foundation in their life. You are allowing them to build their life on the solid rock. And when the storms of life slam against that rock, they're going to hold strong. That's what happens when you teach your kids God's word as dads. It gives them confidence because Jesus Christ is their Savior and their word guides them. Next thing it does is it allows them to not forget the works of God. When you remember the works of God and you don't forget them, it keeps you humble because you remember who God is. You remember that, yes, He is a loving, He is patient, He is kind, but you also remember that He is holy and that he is just, and that he always does what's right, and that he will punish sin. And so by teaching your kids God's word and by bringing them to a place of remembering and not forgetting the works of God, it keeps their hearts in a state of humility. That's where God wants us to be. Pride is one of the biggest disasters to all of us. Pride can take us out at any time. It grows behind the scenes. It's something that we need to confess before the Lord. And when we remember the works of God and who he is, it keeps us humble before him. That's the second thing that it will produce in your kids' lives. And then the third thing is to keep his commandments. To keep his commandments. This is about genuine obedience. It's not about just religious rule following. It's about cultivating a heart to follow God's word, to know that God's word is our life, brings to mind aspects in other Psalms that communicates this about God's word, that our kids would be taught God's word and they would want to hide it in their heart, Psalm 119.11, hide it in their heart so they may not sin against the Lord. It cultivates that type of genuine obedience. 
It, it cultivates the type of perspective of God's word that it is a lamp to their feet and a light to their path. They know that they need the scriptures for their guide in this dark world and how dark it is. They need the light of scripture. And so as they do that, as they hide God's word in their hearts, as they use it to navigate this world as their light, that they themselves will be that light. As Jesus said, they themselves will be that city on a hill. As Jesus said, they will be the salt to this, to this world. So those three things, this aspect of confidence in the Lord, the aspect of humility, and the aspect of genuine, genuine obedience. Those are the things that come from dads that teach their kids God's word as we trust the Lord himself for those results. So we see that's where we get to in verse 8. Well, again, there's a lot more verses to this psalm. It goes on for like 68 more verses, and it goes through history. What is this, this mystery? What is this truth that Asaph wants us to realize from history? And, and how does it connect into this aspect of us being fathers who teach God's word? Well, I'm going to paraphrase for you a little bit the big picture of, of the rest of the psalm so you can know what's going on. So in, in the next set of verses, from verse 9 to 48, he goes through a remembrance of history. He, he remembers the Red Sea, and he remembers Israel crossing the Red Sea with the water parting. And he also remembers that the Lord led the people by day, by a cloud, and by, by a pillar of fire at night. And he recalls that three days after Egypt, they're like, man, we don't have any water. And God makes the water come from, from a rock. He gives them water. And so, and then they continue on. Two months later, they, they, they're, they're complaining to the Lord and they need food. And the Lord gives them, them manna to eat. And so th this first kind of cycle of history, we, we see this communicated by Asaph. But all along the way, we see the constant rebellion of the people. It's a pattern. As you go through it, you see, you see scripture that the phrases in it is the rebellious attitude, sinful hearts, disobedience of the people. He goes into a second cycle of history. This time he goes back a little bit further. He goes back to the time when they're actually in Egypt. These are, these are verses 40 through 64. And he goes through and he's going through history again. And he's saying the incredible ways that God has worked. Now he brings in the plagues that were brought upon Egypt. All of the plagues, the incredible Passover, that the blood was put over the door frames. And the lives of those who did that were spared from death. And then the going through the Red Sea again, God providing for them. But then he goes further into the history. He goes further and, and we see the aspect of, of the Lord providing for them and bringing them into the promised land, bringing him his law, bringing him into the land, establishing them in the land and dividing up the tribes in the land. We see all of this going on. But again, in that section of history, in all of those verses, there's a pattern of constant rebellion. So you see this aspect of God working, God doing for them, God showing wondrous things, and you see disobedience, complaining, rebellion, falling away, immorality. It's all there throughout both cycles of history. Let me give you an example. You'll see it on the screen. Psalm 78. I'm going to read you two, two examples of this rebellious attitude. If you count all of the examples up, there's 27 of them. 
27 phrases of the rebelliousness of God's people reflecting in this. Psalm 78, 17 through 18. It says, yet, despite what all God was doing, yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. And then Psalm 78, 41 through 42, they tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe. So 27 times through both courses of history, it's God working, God doing amazing things, and their rebellion. But within that, there is an incredible thread that kind of brings us to this mystery of trying to understand God. It's a mystery in the sense like we can't wrap our minds around it. We can't fathom it, and it drives us to worship. And this mystery reflects the heart of God. In the midst of all that rebellion, in the midst of all that stubbornness, God is, God is a God of justice. You see the punishment too. It's very clear. You see the trend of punishment through it. But in the midst of all of that, does God give up on them? Does God completely reject them? He doesn't. Look at Psalm 78, verse 38. It says, yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. He atoned for their iniquity. He covered it. He covered it. That's like the blood over the door. They were covered by the blood. Points us to the New Testament as well, right? God atoned for their iniquity. His wrath was, was restrained against them. Look at Psalm 78, 52 to 53. We see the same heart of God in the midst of all of the people's rebellion and all of their disobedience. Psalm 78, 52 to 53. Then he led out his people like sheep and he guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid. The heart of God does not give up on his people. The heart of God shepherds his people. The heart of God continues to love his people despite the rebellion against him. And then at the very end of the psalm, Asaph connects it with the great promises of God because we know that there is a Savior coming. We know from Genesis 49.10 that that Savior comes from the line of Judah. And Asaph connects with that and says that God is so faithful that he brings a king who reflects his heart from that line to shepherd his people. A king that reflects ultimately the one who will come and embrace that in its perfection, our Savior. But we see it in David. Psalm 78, 70 to 72. It says, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. So what is this truth? What is this mystery? What is, what is being revealed to us about God? What is being revealed to us in this scripture? Well, one thing we see is that on our own, we can't do what God commands. On our own, Fathers, the pattern's there. The pattern's in the history. We're going to fall away every time. 
We can't do it on our own. We will keep prioritizing ourselves. We'll keep falling away. We'll keep getting into patterns of, of disobedience. We can't do it ourselves. And what's the marvelous truth here is that God is faithful to shepherd us. God is faithful to shepherd us. It blows your mind that if you read through that psalm, if you read through all those verses and you read the amount of disobedience, the amount of rebellion as a parent, if your kid was doing that, you would be just like, I'm done. This is it. But in the heart of God, he endures and perseveres and is faithful to his promises. He's always completely just, but he is faithful as a shepherd. That's the mystery that we just wrap our minds around. As we sang one of those songs, there's nothing good in me. There's nothing good in me, but yet look what Christ has done for us. That's what drives us to worship. How does that connect with us as dads? Well, we need to look to the ultimate shepherd who came for our strength to be able to do the command, to carry out the command, to teach our children God's word. And how amazing that is that that one came, Jesus Christ. John 10, verse 11 says this, Jesus himself saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Only through Jesus in us can we be the kinds of fathers that God commands us to be. So if you're here today and you haven't come to a place that you have genuinely received Jesus as your savior, you're not going to be able to carry out this command. You're going to be like the history of Israel. We need Christ. We need Jesus. Jesus is God's perfect son who came into the world, and he willingly died on a cross so that God's wrath was not directed towards us, but directed completely towards him. And he took all of it. But because he was the holy, perfect son of God, the death that he died on the cross was not final, that the Lord raised him from the dead. And the scriptures say that if we put our trust in him, if we receive him, John 1:12, we receive him and call upon his name, then we will be called children of God, that our sins will be forgiven. And it's in his strength that we as dads can be able to live out this command that God calls us to, to teach our children. As a way of of applying this in, in personal testimony to my life, just to share with, with you men in the room. I, I grew up, uh, I, I became a Christian uh, in college. In, in my home, there was no teaching of God's word uh, in my family. Uh, we would go to church, but it was just religion. So after I came to know Christ in, in college, uh, my, my pattern of growing and being walking with the Lord was having personal devotion time, that was, that was something I was, was taught. Uh, being involved in attending a church regularly, I was taught that. Uh, being involved not just in attending worship, but small group Bible study of some kind. Got involved in that. And then aspect of serving a church. I never had anybody come alongside me and say, hey, you know, one day you're going to be a dad. Or, hey, you're a young dad. This is something that's so critical for you to do in your home. And that's where that book I told you about by Don Whitney, Family Worship, was huge. As, as I read through that, and Anthony and I were talking about it last, last year, it was very eye-opening to me. And, and I can't tell you just how impacting it's been for me over the past year. And, and as a way to put it into practice, 
Keep it simple. Uh, I was challenged to just once a week make time with my family to do three things. No prior preparation. You're not having to study for three hours and come up with an outline and sit there and is all you do is you pick a time, pick 30 minutes, sit, gather your family, read scripture, sing together, and pray. You can put phone, use your phone and put some songs on the, on the screen. You can go and pick the songs from the worship service this week. So we, we get together, we, we sing two songs, we just read scripture, we talk about it, and we pray. That has been life-changing for my family over the past year. And it's almost embarrassing to say as a pastor, like, I just started doing that over the past year. But I, I encourage you to do it as men in your homes. If you're here today and, and your, uh, your kids are grown and out of the house, do it when they come back in the house. If your kids are, are married and have their own families, when you go to their house, encourage them in, in, in doing that. And like I said, if, if you're here today and you're, you're a single man, build this pattern into your, into your, into your thinking. Um, if you're here today and you're married and you don't have kids, do it with your wife. Start the pattern with your wife. There's another scripture that talks in, in Ephesians. I can't remember the reference, but it's about, you know, how husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and sanctified her uh, with the, the washing of water with the word. That, that's what you're doing with your wife, guys. When you read the scripture and talk about it, pray together. That pattern, if you start doing it as a husband and wife, when you have kids, you have young kids, I know it's hard. Um, even now with a middle school daughter, it can be hard to focus, distractions. It's like, you got to fight for it, though. And, and we've been trying to do that in our family over the past year, and it's been an incredible blessing. So I encourage you. Um, I'd love to share with you more about how to do that and, and help you with that. Um, and likewise, that book, uh, Family Worship by Don Whitney, is huge. So, so I encourage you guys to, to do that. Um, so that, when, when you see... In Psalm 78, that charge to dads, we see an incredible command to us as fathers to live it out. And again, the only way we can live it out is through Christ our Lord as our Savior. And so I'm going to pray for us. And um, if you're here today and you're thinking about just your role as a dad, if you're thinking about where you stand with Christ, is, is, is he really in your life? Is it just tradition or what is it? Uh, we, we'd love to be able to pray with you. We have some prayer stations. One is in the back corner over here, and one is over here in this corner. And as, after I pray and the musicians come up, I encourage our attendants that are assigned this week to go to the prayer stations. And during the last song, if you just want to pray about your role as a dad, if you want to pray about what it means to know Christ as your Savior or talk about that, go to one of the prayer stations. They'd love to pray with you. If you need to talk longer, we can go in a back room or something like that. Uh, but don't leave today um, without responding to what the Lord is putting on your heart. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you today and we recognize the weight of this command in your word. Father, we recognize the consequences as men if we don't obey this command. We see it in the history of Israel. We see it in our culture today. And Lord, whatever season of life this finds us in as men, I pray that you would show us how to put it into practice. Lord, that you would show us how to lead in this area. Lord, that we would be encouraged that it's never too late to start. 
that we would be encouraged that you will respond according to what your word says. And we trust in you, Father, to create those qualities in our kids, to be able to know you, to have confidence in you, to be humble, and to genuinely obey you, Father. So, Lord, let us sing now. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into this world and for being our strength to do this. And I ask this in your name. Amen.